The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. To that news that Russia has said that the Nord Stream 1 pipeline is offline for the foreseeable future. I'm joined by Aoife Foley, who is Professor in the School of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering in Queen's University. Now, Aoife, if I understand this correctly, there are two main pipelines travelling through um, from Russia to Germany. Nord Stream 2, which isn't being used, and there's some degree of um, disagreement between Russia and the EU over that, and Nord Stream 1, which provides a huge amount of Germany's and Europe's uh, gas. It is Nord Stream 1 that now is not flowing gas. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, it supplies about 55 billion cubic metres into Germany. Um, I suppose to put it in context, the EU uses about 397 billion cubic metres annually. Um, it's about 21% of um, Europe's primary energy consumption, natural gas. 40% of households in Europe are connected to natural gas. And of the total gas supply, um, 40% comes from Russia. So this is a significant impact. Now, this is a sort of a historical implication as well in that the Ukraine transit pipeline um, in occupied areas um, of the Ukraine has been closed, the Sabrevnava. Um, there's been other issues on the, pipe, um, the pipelines to flow into Poland um, um, and other former Eastern Bloc countries, the Northern Lights, the Amal, the Brotherhood pipelines, they go into Austria, Italy, Slovakia, there's been issues with them as well. But I suppose, um, you know, we have 142 billion cubic metres approximately of gas storage over the summer. We've frantically been trying to fill those. Now, I suppose what's a good point for Ireland is that we get our gas from the UK. The UK imports about maybe 4 to 11% of its gas from Russia by two degrees of separation. And Chris O'Shea there in um, Centrica, who, who owns Board Gosh, um, they signed a deal um, over the last few days with um, with Equinor in Norway, and they're going to. Um, they've agreed to up supplies if the UK runs into difficulties over the next th- three winters. But what are the implications then for the um, Euro- the European Union and for Germany with this restriction? And secondly, how how much do we believe? the Russian excuse that there are technical difficulties? Well, you know, it's highly... This is really an energy war now at this stage. You know, the Ukrainian-Russian um, war has escalated into a, into a really an energy war in Europe. It, I suppose it's a new form of war now. Um, look, Nord Stream 2 has been fraught with conflict. Um, you know, in, in 2021 in the States, the National Defence Authorization Act, which was uh, a bipartisan c- consensus um, in the US... They had issues with Nord Stream too, and they and and, and this has been in the background all the time because it pushes it was pushing Europe and Germany closer to Russia, um, at the at the expense of the Ukrainians. You know, um, we know that Biden has been a friend of um, the Ukraine going back even to his time as vice president with Barack Obama. Um, typically, you know, Russian pipelines. This pipeline has only been out and out out of out of service for maybe three. You know, a landline, a land pipeline is out of service maybe for three to four days of maintenance a year. And as I understand it, what used to happen was it used to be Siemens, the German company who maintained the turbines in yeah. question. Yeah. That has now been brought in-house in Gazprom, the state-owned yeah. Russian company. And effectively, they're saying the dog has eaten their homework. There is a problem with the turbines, they say, and therefore look, Russian you know cheap gas to the EU is choked off indefinitely. Well, I look, th- this, as I said now, you know, I, I don't believe that. 
you know, we've 40 years of gas transit in Europe and we've never really had a lot of technical issues. Online, onshore, you, you, you know, land-based gas pipelines, really, maybe 10 days of maintenance. Offshore is, is a different issue completely. You know, I go back to Poland fined Gazprom 6.5 billion there a number of years ago in relation to um, an antitrust issue. So we all know what's been going on in Russia over the last number of years, and we know what's been going on in, in the Ukraine. But over in, the in last essence, then, years. if I understand it, Aoife, you would see this as an act of aggression, not a technical problem. No, exactly. You know that that's that's what it is. You have to call it. You know, if if it flies, it's a bird. You know, um, and um, look. I think really we, we energy experts wouldn't have seen this at the level that has occurred now. Now, Germany over the past while has been, uh, they've been in the market buying gas at any available price and stockpiling it as much as is possible. possible yeah. So they're up to, I think the high 70s or 80% reserves as we come into the winter. Is yeah. that sufficient if they are choked off to the degree that they will be if Nord Stream 1 doesn't start flowing gas again? If, if it doesn't, and it's, if, if we hit December and January, there's going to be serious supply issues in Germany. Um, but you must remember that we have other pipelines that come in and there's, there's, there's some elements of interconnection across the EU where we can give each other um, backup and support. Um, you know, there was even mootings of cancelling um, Nord Stream 2. So that would tell you the problematic issues surrounding it. Um, you know, we get gas from from... From North Africa comes up into Spain and, and, and Portugal and Italy. We get we get a, a gas across from um, the Turkish region as well. It comes up there. Um, see, um, LNG they're going to stop sh- start shipping more and more of that in. But we've had some issues with that over the summer, in that um, the quality of it has been sort of it's resulted in some problems and some some shutdowns in Belgium and and, and imports. So um, you know it's it's. The mass ramping up of LNG has been problematic, but I think, you know, engineers, we like a problem and we tend to think on our feet fairly quickly and, and solve problems. Although you are faced with some interesting political environment in which to solve problems, because one of the solutions that was happening, if I understand it correctly, was that gas was being transferred from the US to the EU. And of course, the gas sellers in the US were therefore able to take the higher price that's were, now yeah. trading in the, in the EU compared to the US. The U.S. government is now putting pressure on gas producers in the U.S. not to sell into the EU. Well, it's in their interest as well because it's a mass, um, you know, they're meant to be our friends. Um, and I think, you know, a price cap, the markets really in Europe have um, been affected significantly since even before, the year before in the run-up to the Ukrainian situation. So um, if the Americans can... can put even more pressure on um, their own um, companies, that would help Europe significantly. But And, and to go back, Aoife, then to the issue with the, the Nord Stream position, I know your expertise is in the area of, of gas, not in the area of geopolitics, but if you look at the political side of this, mm-hmm. this is a significant ratcheting up. Oh, it is. Like, I mean, you know, you know, Dave Carmen, the MD of Board Gosh Aaron, you know, it, you know, he's obviously, with, with much regret, they had to up the price of natural gas by about 39%. Um, so, like, I mean, in, in, in a typical bill in Ireland, you know, an annual bill, we're, we're reaching now the price, the UK price cap, with, between electricity and gas, the average price over a year. 
um, which is a significant price really for any home. And we can already see that businesses um, have, have been significantly affected, you know, hotel oh, yeah. pubs. And we end up in a position where we have to keep fingers crossed that we have a, a mild winter. Aoife Foley, thank you very much. Aoife Foley is Professor in the School of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering in Queen's University. And at the same time as we're facing um, this act of energy aggression from Russia, steps are being taken, of course, all the way across Europe and in Ireland to try to wean us off particularly Russian gas, but gas generally. And one of the steps that has been announced during the week that is being considered is a total ban on oil and gas boilers in the home. John Gibbons, the environmental journalist, is with us. John, this proposal, is it just that new homes will not be able to be equipped with oil and gas boilers or that there will come a point where you won't be able to replace your boiler with a new one? Uh, Good morning, Anton. It's a sort of a two-step process. The first step is that the ban would apply to newly built homes. That's due to come in from next year. And that basically means if a newly constructed uh, residence, you you don't put in uh, either a gas or an oil uh, boiler. Uh, That's the first step. The second step, which is probably about two to three years out, is to ban replacement installations. So in other words, if you've had your boiler for 10 years or 12 years and it's due, it's due for replacement, uh, that essentially there'll, there'll, be, there'll be a ban on that. And I think the, the ministers pointed out that there was a lot of house building, as we know, in, in Ireland between 2000 and 2010. And they reckon about a half a million boilers are due to be replaced in the next couple of years. Now, if what happens is if we, if through inertia, we simply replace those fossil fuel boilers with new oil boilers, with new gas boilers, effectively what we're doing is we're locking in Ireland, both as a country and as individuals, we're locking ourselves in to fossil fuel dependence for the next 10 or 15 years. And as Aoife just pointed out there, uh, gas prices over which we have no control in this country, none whatsoever, have just gone up by 39%. And, so and John, just to be clear, is this an environmental issue or is this an energy security? issue? Is it in response to what we are seeing happening with the gas supply system and with particularly Russia's involvement in it? Or is it just that we need to get off fossil fuels anyway? I think it's it's both, right? I mean, this obviously hasn't been dreamed up last week. So we can't say that this is a knee-jerk reaction to what's happening in Ukraine and to the games that Russia are playing with the, with the, the gas supplies to Europe. It is not a, it's not a, just a a reaction to that. This is part of a strategy and this strategy, Anton, actually goes back probably to 2010 when the then government, uh, which is Fianna Fáil and the Greens, they introduced uh, new building regulations, really important new regulations. Now those regulations mean that every house and apartment that has been built in the last 12 years is built to an A-rated standard. Now those houses, those apartments are the ones who are going to suffer the least in the next uh, few months and in the next few years because we got our regulations right, we got our building standards right now. Having said that, we still have well over a million houses in Ireland that are still basically of of a relatively poor build quality. And what we need to do with our money in this country, we've got to stop sending our money abroad to odious regimes. But the difficulty, uh, John, will be that this, when you talk about money, this will cost some homeowners a fortune because it's not simply a matter of replacing the gas boiler with everything else. It's the boiler has to come out, all of the central heating has to come out, that's all the copper piping, the radiators, all that has to be stripped, the walls have to be made good. If you've got an immersion heater where you're heating it off... um, your central heating system, you're going to have to switch to electric on that. That's a fair chunk of change before you even get into the heat pump that you'll have to replace it all with. 
You're right. And, and it's one of those things we wish we weren't starting from this position. But the fact is the only way out of this, uh, this corner that we've painted ourselves into with this dependence, the only way out of this is, number one, to reduce our dependency on fossil fuels. Now, I think the government, for example, the grants available, say, for heat pump installation, and I know this, uh, Anton, because I did, I did it myself this, this summer. Uh, basically, it's up to six and a half thousand euros, which helps to take the sting out of it. Now, I was able to get my heat pump installed without having to rip out my radiators. Now, they, the radiators were maybe only 10 or 12 years old, so it didn't kind of require the whole house to be torn up. And I suppose I had done a, a partial retrofit again over a decade ago, which meant that the house was sufficient standard to then put in a, a heat pump. It's not an A-rated house. It is actually a B-rated house. There are plenty of houses like that. And the problem is, the easy thing to do is to simply stick in another uh, gas boiler. Would you know The gas boiler, had I replaced my existing gas with another gas, yes, it would have been cheaper. Now, the, the 6,500 subsidy was very helpful, but I think you're absolutely right. We have to put our money where our mouth is here. We need to escalate and increase our subsidies and supports to, to homeowners because this has to be stick and carrot. You're saying to people on the one hand, look, we're phasing out gas boilers and oil boilers, but you cannot leave them high and dry and say, why don't you go off and borrow 50,000 quid from the, from the credit union to upgrade your house? We have got to as a government, as a country, we've got to step in. And this okay. is a mixture. You described it, and we haven't really spoken about it yet, but it's critically important to remember. I mean, you know, Aoife described uh, the situation we're in now as an energy war, but there's a war even bigger than that brewing, and that war is the climate war. And we've seen, Anton, this summer, the devastation across the continent of Europe was not from Russia, but it was from extreme uh, drought, extreme heat waves. Now, this is only kicking off. So we have to, as a rich First world country, we have to play our part in okay. decarbonising our system and getting John, off gas. John Gibbons, thank you so much. That's John Gibbons, environmental uh, journalist. I'm joined by Claudia Carroll, author and actress, and uh, Carl Dieter uh, from Irish Mortgage Brokers. And picking up what um, John was saying in relation to the carrot and the stick. The front page of the Irish Independent is interesting in relation to the stick side of that. Reporting um, from Charlie Weston and John Isle that Carl, two month energy bills are going to hit. 1200 euro this winter yeah 600 a month uh well look when you get uh, rampant energy inflation uh that's part of what happens we've uh i guess we're kind of in this tricky situation where we spent the last 15 years dismantling you know things like uh shale exploration lots of different oil exploration being told the oil industry is wrong so they're not you know investing or or able to pick up the slack when they need to the Germans have been closing nuclear factories, saying that, no, you know, renewables are the way forward. In fact, the country in the best situation is France because they have such a strong uh, nuclear sector. And we, what we've done is a lot of this is obviously um, an issue with with things that are happening between Russia and Ukraine and shutting down the Nord Stream the other day, etc. But a lot of it is also we have ourselves to blame because we started to believe in what was effectively a false prophet of we can have everything that we want from these certain set of ideals and that there's not going to be a trade-off. Well, this is gas prices. Yeah, but the trade-off is that we don't have a fallback because we've been destroying those fallbacks. But those fallbacks, the things that we have destroyed have been things like peat. Uh, yeah, so look, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not advocating for peat, but certainly when it comes to something like nuclear, shutting that down has been a big mistake. Although we've uh, never had nuclear production. We haven't, but uh, when you think about the way that other countries would use nuclear and now they're going to have gas demand, which therefore increases overall gas demand. So what happens is in the interconnected world, 
if other people had more nuclear, they wouldn't need as much gas and therefore gas prices might stabilise, etc. So it's, it's about that knock-on effect and thinking that you can have it all. Claudia, the implication for families, I suppose the one bit of good news in all of this is, and we'll be talking about this in, in, in more detail later on in the show, is the, the discovery that we have a six billion plus surplus. surplus. So there is at least some money in the war chest to fight yes, the battle. Yes, there is. I, you know, I... I was in listening with great interest to what Carl was saying just there a moment ago. I get the macro picture. I get why our electricity and our heating costs are going to go up in, in the winter. I, it's the micro one is my concern. What are the government going to do about it? They are sitting on a massive budget surplus that's into the billions. Um, what are they going to do? Are they going to cut VAT on our bills? Um, you can see it already. I don't know about, about uh, you, Anton, are you but I, you can see it even in just ESB bills. It, it was the summer, so heating wasn't really an issue. Thankfully, it was warm. But you can see it's already gone up by like a third. Mm. So I would like to know what, what they are going to do quite specifically to make but things But a third is bearable. the consumer impact in Ireland. If you look at some of the wholesale prices, we've seen increases in the UK of seven and 800% over a 12-month period. If that continues... And if that gets fed through to the consumer. Energy poverty. Um, I was You were speaking about the French car. I was reading about in Germany. Um, the government have said, OK, here's what we're, we're going to do just nationally. Um, you know how they floodlight uh, huge monuments, tourist traps, um, like the Eiffel Tower in Paris or say the Brandenburg Gate in, in Germany. Um, they floodlight them and it, it's a big feature for people to look at in the evenings. That's that's all gone. Public light, just gone. And public buildings down by two degrees so they're only heating them to 19 degrees. Yeah. They're asking people if, you ha- if you're lucky that. enough to have a swimming pool, don't heat it, all don't, of that kind of stuff. Of and also if you're working from home, you know, a lot of offices, like a lot of companies might say, well, hang on, why are we heating the office five days a week when people are only in really Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Thursday? Well, to that, the things that the government can do, because six billion sounds like a lot of money. But if you if you throw it wide, if you cast the net to catch everybody, it'll disappear very quickly. So the kind of things, Carl, that the government should be considering as targeted responses are what? I think they just need to find who is going to be affected the most. Um, I think that part of that could be based on um, income, you know, uh, assessments. We actually have a very advanced system of income now. You can quickly find out who's earning what with PAYE normalization. So, so that's really great. They could look at something like that. You could do what the Spanish did. I, when I was in Spain this year, they still have a thing where you, when you want 20 euro of petrol, you pull up and you give it to a guy. He says, yeah, go pump 20 euro. I, I was, wasn't paying attention because it shuts off. And I realized I'd pump 22 euro 13. I said, look, the, the things he's like, no, no, El Gobierno. He was like, the government pay extra to give you more petrol. So you can just go into straight subsidies, but that's fairly untargeted. There's so, also an announcement, I think, currently that Spain, uh, I think I was reading that Spain is now saying that um, train journeys under, I think, 100 kilometers are going to be free to incentivize people onto public transport. Yeah. So basically, what, Spain, Spain come out with some pretty interesting public subsidies and then they do things like you know get into big arguments with the 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 Moroccans and Algerians to like cut off their fuel supplies simultaneously so whatever about them I'm just saying that you can go that route of like just mass public subsidy uh, you could also try to look at something where you look at say for instance what what your the previous guy who was talking about heat pumps that you John. you encourage people to do that John I have a heat pump I have a very different experience than what he was talking about with mine the last one broke it was like a 12,000 euro fix nightmare thing only lasted 10 years um, 
So there's there's different ways of targeting it. The question is, do we have the money and should we spend it on this now? Because don't forget, during COVID, the justification for all the okay, let's not start COVID again. Well, uh, I'm not starting uh, that no, again, no, but I'm just no, saying no, that, no, that there's no, a, a, a fiscal hangover. Into, I'm not going back into COVID again. Eating bread, I'm not, soon I'm forgotten. not going into COVID we, again. We Tech have, saying, Anton, my gas boiler is 17 <laughs> years old and will be replaced next year at a cost of 2,500 euro. As a 58-year-old, it is neither possible nor feasible to change to a heat pump. It would cost thousands that I just don't have. And if I did, I would never see a return. Another, there is no work that can bring my 170-year-old stone home to an energy standard that makes a heat pump system feasible. So removing my ability to replace my oil boiler will remove my ability to heat my home. And a lot of texts coming in around the same kind of sentiment. 53106 at a cost of 30 cent if you want to get in touch with the show. I want to move briefly to slightly more, well, I was going to say more positive uh, topics, but it may not be because Electric Picnic looks like it is being (laughs) a fairly dismal experience. do 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 you you yearn to be in a tent oh, no. you being see, rained I think on at the electric picnic the, the um, a pal of mine says you know you're middle aged when you know electric picnic com- comes around and you think yeah not envying them um, uh, sorry I'm just old 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 and need you know I'm a big fan of, of, of bathrooms have you noticed that that has changed with different periods in your life or did you oh, ever want to be at a oh did you you did want you to know, be at a when you're younger you don't care like you, you, even if you didn't have a tent you'd still go you'd have grey crack God, um, I, I still remember not to wanting see. to be cold and damp when I was 18 and 19 <laughs> <laughs> what about you Carl um, do you yearn to be there I, I loved it I loved electric picnic I, I played electric picnic about seven times I'd say too so I used to play you the body played it yeah yeah I played uh, in the Louisiana Six we played on the body and soul a load of times last one I did was my own act Carl Dieter and played the thing called the trailer park and uh, yeah. what do you play uh, I play uh, guitar upright bass uh, you can look on Spotify the album's on there so, like, there's a few albums on there <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we'd be doing on, on yeah. that stunning revelation well, it's, it's great in the rain it's great when it's dry it's it, brilliant it, it to see young, like Gen Z early 20s college age college, you know young ones just out and about with their pals you know the ones who were sort of locked up for two and a half After years two and a half years come on just enjoy right. yourself guys interesting about the drug um, or not drug amnesty but the drug testing that's going on on site did you I I'd say you'd want to be very, you'd want to be a confident person to at a festival where you know there are a lot of Gardaí to march up to a tent and and say, I would like you to examine my drugs. (laughs) Um, But I just thought um, as maybe a a, a minor step in the right direction, just that that it's putting the message out there. um, Whatever, you know, no questions asked. It's not an amnesty, um, but... Um, whatever it is that that you're buying or take, you know, whatever yokes they are. Um, Literally. It can be lethal. <laughs> it can be. So, you know, we're here to scientifically test if you want. And at least they're finding out, scientists are finding out what is out there, what, what it's Before mixed with. So, we, we, we've had this attitude towards drugs, which is the same way that sex was in Catholic 1950s. I mean, we've got to move past it and realise this stuff up. is a real thing and people yeah. do it so you know, what's the right way. That may be a matter for another day. Carl Dieter and uh, Claudia Carroll, thank you both very much. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.